Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exzoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. 
And whether you can believe it or not, I am back. Now, this is a different perspective, and I am Kevin Randall. I will be joined shortly by Michael P. Masters, a professor of biological anthropology at Montana Tech in Butte, Montana. He received his PhD in anthropology from the Ohio State University in 2009, where he specialized in hominin evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine. Collectively, Dr. Masters' background education and current research program combined to offer a unique perspective and a novel approach to addressing unanswered questions pertaining to a widely recognized yet poorly understood aspect of modern global culture. And before I bring him on, I'm going to point out that I have written myself personally a couple of science fiction novels that encompass time travel, where we're going to be going here in a very short order. Uh, one called Remember the Alamo, where we send modern mercenaries back to assist the Texans in the Battle of the Alamo, uh, one where we try to put history back on its track at Gettysburg, and a third where we do the same thing at the uh, Little Bighorn, which took place in Montana. Dr. Michael Masters, welcome to A Different Perspective. Thank you. It's great to be here. And that's it, huh? <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. I've lost track of everything already, and we just started. Um, I suppose the first question I want to ask, and it's probably the first question a number of people have asked, is it's basically the first question everybody asks. Uh, what got you interested in UFOs specifically? I got interested in the subjects because I heard of uh, an encounter my father had uh, a little bit before I was born. And uh, he, he, hearing him describe his account and... Um, seen this archetypal alien image uh, for the first time around age eight just sparked wait, a, wait, a lifelong wait, interest. Well, wait, wait a minute. Your, your father saw a UFO. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a couple of details about that? Well, I mean, from what he described, I, I remember as a child him talking about it a little bit. It wasn't something that came up very often, but I interviewed him about it when I was, I think, a sophomore in college. <clears throat> excuse me and he described it as um this glowing ball of light <clears throat> that was sitting out across the horizon away from them uh he's a veterinarian in a very rural part of ohio and amish country actually and he was out on call with a, a colleague and they both witnessed this same thing uh, described it just as this this glowing orb off in the distance but then all of a sudden it shot toward them and, and hovered there for a little bit and uh, kind of moved around slightly, but mostly just hovered in, uh, I think you said about 200 meters away maybe, and then shot back across the horizon, sat there for a little bit longer, and then rapidly darted up into the sky. And uh, it was clear to him that you know it wasn't a star or headlights or any of the common things that people describe. It was definitely something very different and had an impact on him and I guess you could say had an impact on me as well. Well, the question, the question, follow-up question is, uh, my guest next week is a guy named Terry Loveless and he had a problem with um, his UFO sightings. People were reacted very poorly to him. Uh, it caused family great anguish about his, his UFO sightings. I detect here that there was no such problem, that everybody kind of accepted it uh, as, as something very unusual. Well, yeah, he didn't 
he didn't really talk about it very much. Like I said, it was mostly me prying and asking questions and trying to get more information. But no, in our family, it was never really thought of as a a strange, extraordinary thing that wasn't believable. He's he's not at all the type of person that makes things up like this and isn't attention seeking or anything like that. So yeah, we didn't really have any any reason to question the account as as he told it and. There was also someone else there who saw the same thing and in, in, in accordance with J. Allen Hynek's probability scale, it would, it would be more probable that it did happen because there was another witness who also corroborated that account. So, so no, we never, we never really doubted it. Now, I, I cut you off earlier. You were about to say when you were eight years old, you had an archetypical UFO or a, a, something with the, the UFO phenomena you saw photographs of creatures or, or what was what was that well yeah when i was eight uh, i think my father was trying to figure out what he had seen and to try to make some sense of it so he bought uh, whitley striber's book communion and i remember seeing it on the shelf the bookshelf in our living room and had this this flash this sort of image that appeared in my head which is uh shown early on in the book just to kind of give people a sense of of the image but it was a simple hominin form sort of a, a chimpanzee like form our modern human form in the middle and then the uh alien form from that book's cover and it, it solidified this this interest for me that started at a very young age i obviously didn't know anything about evolution hominin evolution specifically but as i learned more and more about it over the course of my life and really delving deeply into it, working on archeological excavations at ancient hominin sites, pursuing uh, studies of hominin cranial facial anatomy and evolutionary change in our cranial and postcranial anatomy, uh, really, really kind of put together a lot of pieces that had been missing. And then combined with uh, a deep study of modern physics, astrobiology, astronomy, uh, allowed me to kind of put together a, a, a broader perspective and a multidisciplinary approach that brings together evidence from a number of different fields. Did this, did this, seeing that book, kind of spark an interest in anthropology, or is this that something different from from the UFO aspect of it? No, it did absolutely. I I knew I was going to either go to school for physics or for anthropology. Those seem to be the two fields that would help me understand this in the most detail. And I started out with a physics and astronomy major. And then I think it was my late in my sophomore year, early junior year when I switched to anthropology. And it's it's been really interesting. I, I really enjoy this field. It, it's a very broad approach to understanding humanity because we are such complex organisms. It really takes a lot of different disciplines and a lot of different individuals doing specific things and we put all of that together to get a very clear understanding of our current form and also how we got here looking back through evolutionary history. Well, let's uh, let's move on to I think what everybody wants to hear about. It's your theory, your postulation that we're not dealing with extraterrestrials, we're dealing with humans from our future traveling back in time to study us. Is that is that in essence what you are postulating that's spot on absolutely and and it's been great because uh over the last eight months 12 months i guess almost uh ever really really ever since i started talking about this with people i've come to realize that a lot of others have had the same idea and uh 
and there's been people speculating about this or postulating about this for many years, decades even. But the, I arrived at it independently, I guess you could say, uh, when I was eight and, and took a, a, a liking to this phenomenon and really wanted to understand it in the context of time. So the approach is different. There's been films made about it, mentioned in films and other books, science fiction and also nonfiction. Um, but this book, I think it's different in the sense that it, it really is multidisciplinary. It pulls together a lot of current knowledge from different fields to, yes, make that case, as you pointed out, that this phenomenon makes the most sense or can be explained in the most parsimonious terms, the Occam's razor approach, that, that the similarities we see in the form of what I refer to in the book as extra tempestrials rather than extraterrestrials, because they are most likely from time rather than space, put together this case that... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing. Help save lives. And so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your time. That this seems to be the more efficient way of understanding it, the more parsimonious explanation for it, rooted in aspects of our evolutionary change, aspects of descriptions of the craft themselves, the uh, rapid acceleration of culture change and all of the knowledge that we've developed in, in various scientific disciplines. So, so yeah, absolutely. It, it just looks at this phenomenon in the context of our future descendants coming back through time to study us and what is their own evolutionary past in the same way that I would as a paleoanthropologist, a biological anthropologist who's tasked with investigating our own ancestral past. So there's a lot of correlates, not just with their physical form, what we refer to as synapomorphies or shared derived characteristics, but also in, in, the, in what's described in these abduction reports and other instances of close encounters. It's very similar to what we as anthropologists would do if we had access to time travel technology. Well, let me stop you there. We've because you did, and uh, tell you we have to take a break here pretty pretty quick. Uh, the book he was talking to is Identified Flying Objects, a Multidisciplinary Scientific Approach to the UFO Phenomena. It's by Michael P. Masters. Uh, his website is I'd, I'd fly, uh, oh, ID, ID, uh, 
flyingobjects.com. It's I-D-F-L-Y-O-B-J.com. Sorry about uh, screwing that up. Mine is, of course, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will be back in just a moment with Dr. Mc Dr. Masters, and we are going to talk a little bit more about time traveling, I guess, humans visiting us from the future. We'll be back right after this. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. As I told you just moments ago, I would be returning with Dr. Michael Masters. His book is Identified Flying Objects. I screwed up the name of his website. Uh, once again, it's IDFLYOP. BJ, which is probably identified flying objects, uh, abbreviated.com. And he's talking about the, uh, I guess, the explanation partially for um, UFO abductions being time travel, time traveling humans uh, looking at us and studying us the way we would study the ancient Egyptians, uh, the Mayans, the Toltecs. I'm just throwing out these names to prove I've actually heard of these people. <laughs> And studied anthropology myself as an undergraduate. Oh, great. Uh, so I'm a little bit familiar with that. But um, I, the, the thing that struck me, I guess, in your book is you were suggesting that because they are humanoid, the, the, abduct, the abductees report humanoids, um, you think they must have, uh, I guess, evolved on this planet. But isn't it a possibility that the environmental pressures on other planets, if they mirrored ours, 
might uh, give rise to a humanoid creature, not necessarily exactly like us, but humanoid? It is possible, absolutely. And, and I talk about that in the book a little bit, actually quite a lot. And, and mostly it comes down to probabilities, likelihoods, the, the statistical chance that there could be the same conditions and the same string of events that led to us becoming what we are today. There's just a, an incredible number of things that had to have happened in the past to result in, in us. And, and even looking at all of the other animals on this planet, we are extremely unique. We're the only ones talking about these things. We're the only ones that can investigate our our complex form and our, our ancestry and the things that got us to be where we are today. So so yes, in looking at other planets, you you could obviously make the case that there is a chance that there would be upright walking hominin like creatures, but the overwhelming similarities between us and the reported them, or these extratempestrials, as I mentioned, is is not necessarily going to be something that, that would happen at the same time somewhere else in the universe, or that they would be close enough to us that they would be able to find us here, they would be able to travel here in any meaningful amount of time uh, because of limitations in the laws of physics, limitations in time itself, and the effect of time dilation on traveling at high speed in order to reach us or us them if we decided to go and visit them if they do exist in our proximate neighborhood. And then also just the fact that if you look at long-term evolutionary changes in our craniofacial anatomy, the biggest, most pronounced changes are in increased globularity of the neurocranium, increased brain size and a roundness of the skull and a reduction in facial size eyes grow out of the brain in early fetal ontogeny. And as our brains get bigger, it's very likely that our eyes have been getting bigger as well. It's the main thing I studied as part of my PhD thesis and also in my <clears throat> biomedical research, looking at vision and vision defects in the context of evolutionary anatomy. So if you look at all of those main trends throughout our own past and project them forward, you get something that's very much indicative of what is so commonly reported in all of these different encounters. And, I, and I've said before that that if these cl close encounters were describing beans that had 12 legs or, you know, were little blobs of glue or something, I never would have written this book. But the overwhelming similarity between us and the reported them and also the continuation of long-term evolutionary changes, regardless of what our future environment might be like or what specific selective pressures or favoring one characteristic over another, we're still likely to continue these same dominant trends that have characterized the last six million years of hominin evolution. And projecting those forward, you get something that we would expect to look very much like this archetypal alien form. But we have reports of creatures that are certainly not humanoid. We do, uh, yeah. I think think of the Flatwoods monster, for example. Um, the uh, abduction of uh, Calvin Parker and uh, Charles Hickson really don't talk about uh, humanoids with their, the, the robots are sort of, I think they called them robots or suggested they were robots, not being really humanoid. And does that, uh, is that the exception that proves a rule or is, is that uh, worrisome to your overall uh, hypothesis? No, I mean, I think we need to incorporate all of the available data and all of the different reports and images and sightings. What All I can do is make a case 
from the available evidence. And the overwhelming number of reports are very much hominin, bipedal hominin forms. Well, let, me, are, let, let, no, let me interrupt here because uh, something strikes, my, strikes me here. Many of the abduction reports, whether reporting the, the humanoid creatures, are, are um, gathered under hypnotic regression. And I wonder if it isn't possible that the um, operator, the hypnotist, the person gathering the data, isn't kind of implanting in those subjects what they want to see and hear. And that would seem to skew the data. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of potential for bias, especially when you factor in hypnosis. There's the psychocultural hypothesis that we impose things we know onto these forms that we... <clears throat> that we see ourselves going to space and we see ourselves leaving earth and then start to assume that there's probably other things that are also doing this because we're human-like maybe we impose our human-like qualities onto these beings and to go back to your earlier point there are a lot of instances of other forms those I, those should be considered i don't think that they threaten this hypothesis in any way and many of them could very well be artificial intelligence it makes sense that we would outsource a lot of our operations and we continue to do this we see an automation in almost every industry across across technology and and within manufacturing and we use robots it makes sense that we would continue to use robots into the future and and that may be a part of what we're seeing as well but the idea that we've got i think you drew a lot of uh, the uh, ufo information out of the abduction phenomenon if i'm not mistaken to some extent the as I've mentioned before, this book doesn't require the abduction reports. It doesn't even require a lot of UFO reports. It's mostly a book about long-term changes in the culture and biology of our own species and all of our hominin ancestors that gave rise to our species. So I don't think we can ignore these accounts, and I try to draw from averages or the most commonly described form, but there's going to be exceptions. There's no doubt about that. But I, I try to look at the long-term evolutionary past and see what types of things that characterize us now and in association with that past may play out in the future, both in the context of technology, our developing understanding of physics, uh, astronomy, astrobiology, but also those long-term... The internet can be a goldmine for identity themes. Hey, big score? Six-pack of passports. You? Yeah, a couple social security numbers. Ah, uh, well, beats real work, right? <laughs> <laughs> it can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com aware. Identity theft protection starts here. Evolutionary changes and paint a picture of how that could tie in to this phenomenon. But I'm, I'm certainly not making the case that I have some deep knowledge that no one else has or that I possess some pictures or some interaction that I've had with these beings themselves. I've never even seen a UFO. So naturally, I'm very skeptical as well. And that's why I just try to combine as much of the available evidence as I can to make a case and not really try to claim any sort of truth or knowledge of all the different forms and all the different variables that come into play with this phenomenon because it is very complex and it's it's not something that we understand now but are likely to understand in the future especially if we become the ones doing it 
But I think you suggested at one point that um, the studies carried out by the alien creatures, I'm going to use that term because I I like it, the alien creatures are the kind of studies anthropologists would carry out had they uh, the ability to travel in time. But if I'm a scientist from another world and I want to study uh, the history of, of, of humanity, wouldn't I be doing those same kinds of studies? I, I would think so, absolutely. If you're trying to understand the biology and the cultural characteristics of any entity, whether you're coming from time or space, you would expect a lot of those those same procedures to be carried out. The one thing, though, that seems to stand out to me is the communication aspects of it. You wouldn't expect to have other beings on a different planet have such an innate knowledge of our language and our culture and the ability to communicate with us had they not already been a part of the linguistic evolution on this planet and had evolved the same mechanisms for speaking and understanding that we have with ears, a mouth, a pharynx, larynx, and all of these things that allow us to communicate. So there are obviously things that are going to be similar regardless of who or what is doing the investigation. But the, the common aspects of these abduction reports, many things talking about uh, taking care of your planet, um, you know, nuclear war, giving people insights into what may be problematic in the future. Those are the types of things you would expect from someone who had a stake in that future and the continuation of humanity and the continuation of the environment that we live in. But those are the same sort of things that the contactees were proposing back in the 1950s. And we pretty well understand that the contactees were making it up as they went along. I think specifically of George Adamski, um, George Van Tassel, uh, those sorts of guys had the, had the same sort of message that we need to protect our environment, we need to worry about atomic war, we need to uh, do these sorts of things to keep our species alive. And it was kind of a, I think, an appeal to people who might be frightened by atomic uh, weapons and that sort of thing. Um, We'll get back to that here right after we take a quick break. Once again, I am joined by Michael, Dr. Michael Masters, and I have yet to call him Tom McMasters, which for some reason <laughs> sticks in my brain and I do not know why, but I have not done that yet. Um, his website is IDFLYOBJ, Identified Flying Objects, for those who can figure out the acronym, uh, .com. Mine is uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and there's a whole bunch of good stuff at xzbn.net, uh, other programs that deal with uh, the paranormal and, and topics that interest all of us as we uh, meander through life. We will be back right after that, right after this, with uh, Dr. Michael Masters. here and they've been here for thousands of years making their presence known in the shadows they might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife but who are they what do they want why are they here perhaps most concerning has the government been aware of their presence all along 
The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV. Plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like X Zone, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. I am back with Dr. Michael P. Masters, a uh, PhD from The Ohio State University, I just love to say that, who uh, is teaching at Montana Tech in Butte, Montana. The book, again, is Identified Flying Objects, a Multidisciplinary Scientific Approach to the UFO Phenomenon. And while we were, we were kind of focusing on that and moving to, to this idea, uh, before for the break, is if these beings are from our future, why do they need to abduct people from our time frame to understand what was going on? And 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 kind of a sidelight is, wouldn't the re record we've left behind, which is much more complex and detailed than what we pick up from from Egypt and Rome and studying ancient civilizations, wouldn't that uh, give them a lot of the clues that they would be looking for? Well, I think that all comes down to at what point in the future they're coming from. Because if, if we say, for instance, we had access to the same technology, we aren't likely to go back 20 years into the past 
and investigate humans during a time where we already have records of what they were doing, why they were doing these things. It's all preserved in the literature and, and other forms of media. But in, in doing anthropology, we have cultural anthropologists who study living people. We do ethnographic research in that capacity. But we can only have we only have data from the earlier stages of this field about 200 years ago. Prior to that, we rely on archaeologists to dig up material remains of past cultures in order to try to paint a picture of what types of things we were doing back then. And you're right in looking at the Olmec, Toltec, uh, the Mayans, the Aztecs, and any of these groups, we would want to know more about them than just what's available in the archaeological record. And I think that's that can there can be a strong case that can be made for why we would not only be going back to more distant periods in our own past, but also why these extra tempestrials look so different from us. If if they were just humans coming out of these these flying saucers, these IFOs as I refer to them as in the book, if they didn't have bigger heads, bigger eyes, smaller faces, different body builds, some are shorter, some are taller, some are skinnier, some are fatter. But if they didn't have all of these differences, we would just say, oh, those are humans from the future. It'd be much easier to identify them as such. But because they have characteristics that appear to be an extension of our own morphological evolution, it indicates that they're probably coming from a time much deeper in the future, which indicates that either it's going to take a while for us to develop time travel technology or that there's just no incentive to come back to a point when you already have the information available in these other forms. There could be some event in the future that, where we lose a lot of information. But regardless, you have this sampling bias that takes place as you go farther into time in either direction, forward or backward, where the more distant you go from your own point in time, there's just less available evidence. It's an aspect that we, of, of science that we deal with in anthropology, paleontology, any study of time. So the fact that they do look so different from us while still maintaining those shared derived characteristics indicates to me and in the context of this model that they are coming from a time in the future when we don't have as much available evidence and and that's part of their objective is to get that in the best way possible which is more of an ethnographic biomedical examination of individuals in their own distant past so you're saying the cloud is going to disappear the cloud seems like it could disappear at any moment. I don't put anything on the cloud. I don't trust it. I mean, you look I, at a cloud, it's not even there. It's just a ball of floating gas. So why would you want to trust all of your important data to something like that? It seems Well, I just thought I'd throw that in because it, it struck me that um, that would be an important important aspect to, to or an important thing to access when we, when we move forward with these studies. Absolutely. But, but, but at the same time, at the same time, think about how fleeting all of this is it's zeros and ones it's things on a screen and anyone who's had a computer crash at, at any point or gotten a virus or anything realizes just how ephemeral these these seemingly modern forms of data storage are they could they could be wiped out by any any major event rather quickly i would think you mean an electromagnetic pulse from the sun it, anything i i mean yeah some sort of nuclear holocaust or extreme decimation of the human population, energy problems. There, there's a lot of things that could take away our main forms of data storage. Well, looking at it from my narrow point of view, it would seem to me that if I'm a time-traveling human, uh, I would be more interested in stuff far beyond where we are today. In other words, back in the more ancient past. Um, so 
we the abductions would be taking place from from the Aztec population or from we could find out who the Tehuatihuacanos were and and what uh, what happened to them that sort of thing but I, I you know I would think that we wouldn't have so many modern abductions we would have uh, maybe hints of abductions from the past but nothing like uh, what is being reported today yeah it's interesting because a lot of people consider us now to be extremely uninteresting and a lot of other people look at what's happening now and the speed at which we're developing new technologies, a new understanding of, of science and space. The first images of a black hole just came out today, which is a phenomenal advancement. We just detected gravity waves. We've been identifying all of these different aspects in particle physics, Higgs boson and whatnot. There's, there's a lot of things happening now that I think make us interesting. But even beyond that, from a scientific perspective, from a sampling perspective, you would need representative data from each time period spread out throughout your ancestral past in order to be able to say anything meaningful about it. And it's something we deal with in paleoanthropology pretty often is that we have certain fossil hominins, one of the, the more complete and most well-known is Lucy. Uh, we also have a Homo erectus skeleton from 1.5 million years ago known as KNMWT15000 that's extremely complete for being a million and a half years old. But and, those and are, has a really lousy name. Well, that's Lucy, a, Lucy I get. Lucy I get. But. Lucy's easier to remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one's known as the Narakatome boy. Um, okay. more, more colloquially, but it's it's catalog name if anybody wanted to look it up is KNMWT15000. In any case, we have certain highly representative periods of our own evolutionary past, but there's also spotty ones as well. There's no such thing as a missing link anymore. That's an archaic term that doesn't really describe anything. But we do have periods where there's just not as much available evidence, such as with uh, Homo habilis, the, the transition from the Australopithecines into members of our own genus. They're, they started to make tools. They had larger brains. They were very interesting, but we just don't have as much from that period. So if I was going to hop into some spinning saucer-shaped craft and, and travel back through time, that's probably one of the first places I would go just to get more data from that time period to help fill in some holes that we have regarding the beginnings of culture and the beginnings of our genus when we really started to expand our brains and allow the runaway brain train to, to leave the, sta the station, so to speak. And and that's the difference between you and me. If I had a time machine, I'd travel back with the winning lottery numbers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to wonder if there's going to be limitations put on the use of these craft. And, and obviously, it would take a tremendous amount of energy and, and a warpage of space time that, that comes from that in order to even do this. So I, I think it would be cost prohibitive for people just to... to do it on their own. You know, there could be private industry, there could be time tourism to some extent, but I think there's going to be strict protocols in place to keep people from from getting lottery numbers or getting, you know, placing bets on, on sports and, and well, stock markets about, and things. What about the butterfly effect? Yeah, I talk about that in the book a lot, not necessarily using those terms, but aspects of, of, how the future can influence the past. We're used to thinking of how the past influences the future, but in looking at time in the context of this one giant entity known as block time to physicists, it, you don't really have to worry about those things. Being non-disruptive, uh, it means that you, these things that have already, they've already time shifted, it's already taken place in the past. So from leaving from the future, 
you already have the ramifications of whatever it is that you are about to do manifested in the past. So they, they retain this con consistency between that past period and the future period from which you leave, even though you're a part of both, there's no, there's no butterfly effect. There's no ripple that takes place because it's already occurred as part of that past. So you maintain self consistency simply as a product of the essence of time, this landscape or this, this block time that we exist in. Which, of course, is what uh, Isaac Asimov explored in his book, End of Eternity, where they are manipulating time to create the best outcome for the future. But there's always this group of people who knows what the various changes have done and how, it's how they've manifested themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the, in the book, I should say, uh, which is identified flying objects, for those of you who haven't figured that out yet. Um, the Fermi paradox and how that how would that relate to your hypothesis? Right. So Enrico Fermi um, was one of the first to to really ask this question of if if there is life all throughout the universe and if if it occurred here on Earth so quickly after it could, and we have complex life forms that are able to ask this question, surely intelligence and complex life forms must have evolved on other planets too. So, his his quintessential question was essentially where where are they where is everybody and stephen hawking proposed this same thing or sort of modified uh fermi's question in the context of time that if we are eventually going to unravel the mysteries of time and figure out how to achieve backward time travel we would expect to be inundated by what he referred to as time tourists and let me, we'd let see me, them let everywhere me, let me interrupt here because I'm, I'm getting up against a break here uh, we'll come back and explore uh, the idea of uh, the Fermi paradox and that sort of thing uh, in just a moment. The book is Identified Flying Objects by Dr. Michael P. Masters. deals with a lot of stuff that I think is of interest to us uh, in a very tangential way, those of us who study UFOs and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm at uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and um, you can take a look at some of my books, such as Encounter in the Desert, which deals with the Socorro case. We will be back right after this and take a little further look at the Fermiter Paradox. here and they've been here for thousands of years making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzulli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. 
So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. I am back with Dr. Michael P. Masters, and please note, I have not called him by the wrong name yet. <laughs> when we went away, we were kind of chatting about the Fermi... Um, paradox, which is if there's life on other planets and they've developed space travel, they would be here. Where are they? And uh, Stephen Hawking idea, uh, Hawking's idea about uh, if there were time travels, where the heck are they? I actually did a short story a long time ago about that. And uh, I think what they did, they found a uh, guidebook. Somebody, the future guy had left a guidebook behind and they're looking up all the stuff that's going to happen in the next hundred years uh, as a proof that they were time traveling, I guess. I don't know. Anyhow, um, you were saying about them being here and we don't see what we would expect to see if uh, there was alien visitation or time travelers. Well, that was Hawking's argument is that if we do ever achieve backward time travel, if we obtain that technology and the materials necessary and the vast amount of energy necessary to achieve it, that we would expect to be inundated by them. And, and while I mentioned earlier that because of the nature of time, self-consistency is maintained throughout the system, throughout block time. We don't have to worry about jumping to a parallel universe or this, this butterfly effect where you come back to your own time and everything's different because it's already a part of what you did prior to leaving. So even though there aren't paradoxes per se with regard to time or any sort of effect that it may have, I do think that there's still limitations in how much we would want to interact with the past. As you mentioned, a lot of people go back and get lottery tickets or uh, bet on the stock market or, or what have you. But in, in looking at this phenomenon, it kind of makes sense too why these extraterrestrials seem so covert in their activities is that even though they're not changing the past, interacting with it adds temporal complexity to these interconnected events that bridge four-dimensional space-time. They're there's also the aspect of it that we still don't understand this phenomenon. If it is us from the future, then we've been wrong the whole time. We've been talking about aliens from a different planet, and it might take some sort of ability to understand this phenomenon before there's full disclosure by our extraterrestrial descendants. But but I would I would counter Hawking's argument that that we would expect to see time tours, not necessarily that they're not here, because I do feel that that could be a part of the phenomenon, especially, you know, the, the, the sightings of these crafts sort of hovering at the edge of clouds, which is a very common image that I've seen a lot of people I know just come up to me and show me these incredible pictures they've taken. But that, that more edict observational approach to it 
could well be people that paid money to come back and witness past periods of time, which, well, seemingly mundane to us because we're living through them in 100,000 years or 200,000 years may be incredibly interesting. However, I think that the phenomenon of abduction reports is more an aspect of biomedical research. I don't discount that there are time tourists, but I think what we mostly see are the more dominant forms of interaction in the form of these abduction accounts are most likely scientists engaged in biomedical research, paleoanthropological research, linguistic research, and that there, there may be a, a discrepancy in the types of reports that have to do with the purpose or what the function of that mission to the past was. So you were you were suggesting that they uh, necessarily have to somewhat hide themselves um, because I guess what you're suggesting is the mere observation, being there as an observer, even that uh, little bit of interaction would could precipitate change or uh, skew the results. Not necessarily change, because change implies that there was already something that existed before that. Rather, it would always be a part of both the past, that moment, and the future, those outcomes already manifested in the future. And, and you're, you're an expert in the Roswell crash, and you can see how that would easily be an example of this, where you have something come crashing into the past that then changes our perception of, of, of this phenomenon. It changes our perception of what technologies exist outside of our own understanding. And that obviously has long-term ramifications and could potentially even help create that same time machine that came crashing into the past in 1947. So there's this interconnectivity among events spread throughout block time. And we're used to understanding things as, as linear, that this past cause elicited a future effect. But there can be instances where the future elicits a past effect as well. So I think it's it's important to consider all of these things and 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 that they they would they would necessarily hide themselves to avoid interjecting themselves too much into the past prior to our knowledge of it. But after that, after we came to understand this, or if this is the actual reality of the situation, once we understood them as our time traveling brethren from the future, there may not need to be any sort of hidden aspect of this. They might not need to be so covert in their operations any longer. And, and we could potentially just interact across time in the same way that we travel to different continents today and interact with people from very different places in space. But I can see that sort of thing just destroying the economy. Uh, they would have access to technologies we just dream about. Right. And an interjection of that technology into our society today would destroy a great bit of the economy. I think that it's a very dangerous thing to be traveling back in time, even if it's just to study what we have done in the past. It, it's an idea that's actually kind of frightening when you when you work your way all the way through it. Yeah, the implications of, of this form of cross-temporal interaction are one of the most fascinating parts of it to me. I dedicated the whole last two chapters of the book just to kind of exploring things like that. What happens when we interact with members of the past. And, and a lot of people, I mean, the whole ancient astronauts phenomenon is centered around this idea that we have been interacting with the past. I think they still view it more in the context of extraterrestrials, but it's the same idea that, that if we are visiting the past and we're bound to be acknowledged or 
remembered or enumerated in some way that leaves some sort of trace. Obviously, if you're picking up members of Homo erectus or Homo neanderthalensis and doing these same things to them, it's not going to leave a lasting mark in the same way that it would if you went back in time and picked up somebody from 150 years ago. There's more ways in which that can leave a mark on the permanent historical record that you don't with more ancient visitation. So, so I agree, they're probably not just going to come blasting in, even if we do come to understand this phenomenon for what I believe it is, extra-tempestrial encounters, intertemporal interaction, there would still need to be safeguards in place to protect the economy, to protect technology, industry, and things like that. So no, I don't, I'm not advocating that they're just going to come out blasting and, and start landing and interacting and we'll all make babies together or anything like that, but there could be a different relationship once we understand the phenomenon in a, in a different and more evolved way. Quickly, quickly. Um, what about this idea that they are, in fact, uh, picking up genetic material to reproduce or in, inbreed with the, the current human population? Yeah, I talk about that uh, quite a lot in the book, too, as one of the implications of intertemporal interaction. I mostly look at it in the context of population genetics and long-term changes in association with this genetic homogenization of the human population, where we used to have very different interbreeding groups of humans, but over the last 500 years, largely because of European colonialism, we've become one large interbreeding population. So Earth is now the human population. There aren't these separate isolated groups. So we could potentially run into problems in the future where we need to stave off the negative effects of inbreeding simply because there isn't the genetic heterogeneity that had existed up until this point and probably will still continue for a little while into the future. And we see the same thing with conservation programs where we have populations that have been whittled down and we have to find a way to increase their genetic heterozygosity to avoid problems with inbreeding, largely recessive disorders that exist as a result of bringing too many alleles that are identical by descent, as we say, into the same population. So you get more of these negative traits as a result of that. So they could potentially be sampling genes from the past, bringing them back to the future to add novel gene variants from the only population in which they can still find novel gene variants, those of their ancestral past. Well, listen, Dr. Michael, Dr. Michael Masters, I will go that way. Uh, certainly appreciate you, appreciate you taking time to join me on a different perspective. The book is Identified Flying Objects. It is available where? It's available. The, there's links through my website. It lists uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, iTunes, Audible. There's an audio book available, too. But it's available on all major platforms um, with links uh, centralized on my website. And there's there's more information. I also have some talks coming up and uh, a number of, of other interviews. And just, just enjoy talking to people about this. It's been great talking to you well, today about been, it as well. It's been a lot of fun. We get to get a little bit into time travel. I would have liked to do a little bit more on that. But we've, uh, we've covered the subject pretty well. Thank you very much for joining me on A Different Perspective. Thank you. It's been great talking to you and uh, really enjoyed it. You have a good day. You too, sir. Uh, once again, for those of you who have missed part of the uh, program, we are available at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. You can take a look for us on the X Zone Broadcast Network uh, 
website to pick up uh, past programs as well. The books are Roswell in the 21st Century, The uh, Encounters in the Desert, which is the Socorro case. And I updated case MJ-12, which is about the Majestic 12 documents, obviously, so that um, it encompasses a lot of information that uh, we've picked up in the last uh, 15 years or so about that uh, topic. Next week, I will be joined by uh, Terry Loveless. He is a, I guess, retired attorney and a, a former state or assistant state uh, attorney, that sort of thing, a, a high-ranking member. He is going to talk about his abductions and uh, his encounters with UFOs uh, over his lifetime. And uh, we will be back in 167 hours with uh, Terry Loveless. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I dot net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. 
You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.